Shalom Aleichem. This is Headlines with a double licensing. My name is Pesach Lerner, and I'm your guest host for this segment. In the last 10 days to two weeks, it's been a very difficult time period for Klal Yisrael. First, with the Ptira of Sarah Torah, Arenu Abchayim Kanyevsky, Zecha Tzadik, V'Kohilosh And it's still hard to say those words, that's all. Uh, he was so important to all of us. Much of his importance we didn't realize Afterwards, I don't realize that we haven't realized, but uh, as the Hador, the Gadol Hador, he definitely had a major impact. And then after his Petira, there were four terrorist attacks in Eretz Israel: Be'Sheva, Chadera, Be'Nebrak, and just today, where I'm taping this, there was a stabbing on a bus in Gush Etzion. Um, security has taken a front seat to a conversation that we haven't had in a while. And now we have large groups of people gathering, whether in shul or at events over Pesach, the Yontif, and it's thrown in America, across the world, security is at the forefront of our minds. And I think we should talk about it. And then there's the current economic situation. Inflation, cost of living, jobs, uh, the effects of the war in, in, in Ukraine, with Russia, so many other things going on that definitely affects the ability of many families to really enjoy having Simchas Yontif. Some families just have a Pesach Seder. So I guess that's the discussion tonight, today. Okay, what's happening in Eretz Yisrael? What's happening in America? Bottom line is issues we are dealing with Eretz Pesach. Our guests include Rabbi Yitzhak Pindras, Chavar Knesset, the Degel HaTorah Party, will be joining us from Eretz Yisrael. Eli Palay, publisher of Mishpacha Magazine and chairman of the Haredi Institute for Public Affairs in Israel. Yitzhak Weinberg, executive director of the Flatbush Community Fund. I think you'll find this conversation interesting. Rabbi Mendy Marashnik, president of Kojo of Staten Island, Council of Jewish Organizations of Staten Island. He's an NYPD police clergy liaison, and he's also executive vice president of the Rabbinic Alliance of America. And then from across the ocean, Europe, a little closer than Eretz Israel, we have Ellie Spitzer. Ellie is a member of the Hasidic community in Stamford Hill, London, and the headmaster of a Hasidic school in London. He's a columnist for Mosaic Magazine and a writer of a regular blog on Haredi Manus. Many of you may have heard his blog, but I think here we will find an interesting addition to our headlines segment. Of David's meaning is that he starts his headline segments with Vartjava. I like to follow up on that meaning. And since we're talking about now a short time to Pesach, it's appropriate that we start with a word on Pesach. Everybody knows the famous question. The famous question is, you have the question of the Chacham. Chacham mahu amir. Ma ha'edus v'achukim v'amishpotim asher tzivo Hashem alokeinu eschem. He wants to know, what are we doing? What are these things? I mean, you're putting him up in a lot of new things over Pesach, the Pesach Seder, the Korn Pesach, everything else. And the Chacham wants to know, what are these things? What are we doing? And we respect him, we answer him, and we'll machshir the Chacham. So on the other hand, the next paragraph in our God is Russia, Mahu Omer, Mahavoda Hazos Lachem. What are you doing? And it's the famous question. What's the difference between the Chacham and the Russia? The Chacham says, what are we doing? And the Russia says, what are we doing? There are many answers. The most obvious one, and the most famous one maybe, is the Chacham includes Asher, Tzivu, Hashem, Elokeinu, Eskim. He puts Hashem, he puts God into the picture. He puts God into the picture, you can ask the question. 
to Russia, doesn't know that. He says, Lacham, you, that's it. But I want to share with the audience a way that I saw many years ago in the Haggadah Chazon Yosef. He asked the question, and if you ever read the writings of Chacham Avadi Yosef, he's very flowery, flows in beautiful language, and big psukim, and I'll try to make it very simple. The difference is the following. When the Chacham asked the question, the Torah tells us, when does he ask the question? He asked the question, the day after. Last night he did the Pesach Seder. He participated in all the mitzvahs. The Chacham participated in the Pesach Seder. He participated in the Korban Pesach. He did all the mitzvahs. He was there with his enthusiasm and his mysterious nefesh and everything else after he did the, the Seder, after he bought the Korban Pesach, and after he did his mitzvahs. Machar, the day after, he says, okay, I did. I believe, but I want to understand. Explain to me what I did. That's acceptable. That's praiseworthy. The Russia, on the other hand, he's pointing with his finger. What am I doing over here? Maha Voda Hazos. Rocham, where is this going? I'm not making a move until you explain it to me and I understand. That's the difference between the Chacham and the Rush. Chacham walks in, faces the Aramuna. The Chacham does. And afterwards, he asks. The Russia doesn't make a move without getting all the answers. Chacham Ravadja continues that thought. The halacha is that you have to put on your Tzul and Shalyad before you put on your Tzul and Shalosh. And by the way, the reverse is the same. Tzilin Shalosh has to come off before the Tzilin Shalyad. Why? Because the Tzilin Shalyad represents action, doing something, activity. Tzilin Shalosh represents thought. And the difference is, first, you have to do. First, you have to do Tzilin Shalyad. You always have to have action, activity, doing. And only afterwards can you ask the question. First, you put on your Tzilin Shalyad, and then you put on your Tzilin Shalosh. And the same thing, Chacham and others say the same thing. We say, Ain Kelokeinu, Ain Kadoneinu. And what's the second paragraph? Mi Kelokeinu, Mi Kadoneinu. That's not the way you normally ask the question. You ask, first ask the question, and then you give an answer. So what's happening over here? You gave the answer before you ask the question? That's the point. The point is that first we have to set the premise. The premise is, Ain Kelokeinu, Ain Kadoneinu. The premise is Tzilin Shal Yad before Tzilin Shal Rosh. The premise is Hayak Yishal Chabin Chamachor the next day, because last night he did it. We did a Nasev and Nishma, we do. And then we're Nishma. And that is the difference back to the original question, the question of the Chacham and the Russia. The Chacham asks after he does, the Russia asks before he does. But that's a message we have to take to heart. On this show, whenever I guest host, whoever I. You always ask questions, but we have to know that the premise, premises, we, have, we believe with Amun and Shlema, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, can go over us. We believe with Amun and Shlema, that every HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is a tov. So we have to do the mitzvahs, we have to do chesed, we have to do, uh, raise money for the anim, whether they're in our neighborhood or at Israel. We have to be concerned about security, but we have to do it with the premise. That Avinu Shabbat is watching over us. And Avinu Shabbat is taking care of us. And after we have that premise, then we know we have to do Ahishtadus. But Ahishtadus isn't built on that emuna. That Akash Bokhu runs the world. That Akash Bokhu loves us. Akash Bokhu is watching over us. And then we go on. So enjoy tonight's program. And wishing you a Chad Kosher with Sameach.
healthy, safe, and wonderful youngster. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. Shalom Aleichem. We have on the line with us, Chavir Knesset, Harav Yisak Pindras. Chavre Knesset from Tegel Torah, one of the most active Chavre Knesset on behalf of Torah and the Torah community. Coming in from Eretz Yisrael, welcome. Happy to be back. Thank you for joining us again. I guess the conversation is the matzah in Eretz Yisrael, the security matzah, anti-Semitism in the world, and maybe we're getting into Pesach. And uh, we know a lot of people are coming to Eretz Yisrael for Pesach. The hotels should be full. People are all over the place. But uh, as we know, there's much of Kali Yisrael, their matzah is difficult. The financial matzah is difficult. And the question is, is this year worse, better? And let's have a conversation. But let's start, I guess, with the security situation. It's been a very tough week. Right now, the tough week, uh, we had 11 terrorists. Used between the Arabs. It used to be used between the Arabs. 
So it's 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 it, of course it's Yad Hashem, but you're saying it's uh, I don't want to say it. In our eyes, we're inviting it. Our eyes, what we see is that yeah, the the government cuts down the the police, the army puts the hands of the cops, the soldiers, the the Arabs the smell it, they feel it, and they react. So what's the mood of the typical citizen on the in the on the street? It's, I would feel like that. Of course, uh, most of the people here are Hashem now the moon on the Tachum and the Kali Sparkle, but the Bashilil, the Irish, they gave a speech at an hour after the convention of Chinuch and the Prophet Christ. Then he said that the Mitzvah of the Rabbi Yerdel is to go over the East. One of the ideas of the world is not to be afraid. Now, I can't say people are walking around afraid, but it is. It's, it's a hard feeling. It's difficult. It's, it's not easy. And, and we're hoping that now there's going to be a lot stronger hand than them. And like I said, and there are studies. Uh, it's going to work. I mean, until now, that's what happened. Every cycle that we had, a terrorist over here, when the, uh, the police, the army, the courts, went stronger than them, right. And And the of Bechlau, do you have any feeling in your position of what the matzah bechlau is throughout the world? Does this affect the attitudes of the rest of the world? And is, is the Mideast a separate entity? Uh, generally, there is not the Semitism all around the world. It's not something that, okay? The base of the Liakwin is near from Mehmedarsi. The war in Russia and Ukraine brings a lot of people who are attacked around now. Uh, the feelings in Europe bring people to make all the assets as well. And the feelings all around the world. And I believe that in the United States also people are, uh, are considering coming back as well because of those feelings. And even right now, like I said before, there is terrorist attacks over here, but still the feeling is that a place of a Jew should be an anti-Israel, could be an anti-Israel, and would be an anti-Israel. That's, that's our place. With all the difficulties, uh, the Jewish world in anti-Israel it's rising, and I'm saying again, we're in a, we're in a tough point, in a tough time. But still, it's rising, it's being developed, the third world, the Christian world, with the government, without the government, and right now we're almost you know, without a government, without a functioning government in Israel. But the Baruch Hashem is still rising, and we have to have the talking that this terrorist uh, cycle will, be, will end and faster than it started. Hi. Okay. Baruch should be with us. And his, his, his constant view of on looking over Eretz Yisrael should be causing uh, everybody. But let's talk about now coming up to the season of Pesach. We know the matzah for many, many from Yidden and general and Jews in general. The the, uh, the uh, economic situation is difficult. But I have to assume that the, for Pesach. Even more difficult because the the cost of everything is going up. Uh, people are not uh, don't have the salaries they need. What's the massive today? And is it special? You know, you still have to say yeah. Unfortunately, uh, I would say two things basically happened in Okay, one what happened in, in the in the situation bringing things from outside. You're right, it's a big problem. There's a lot of companies that are closed, and that hired very much the prices over here. 
the prices of food products, things like Yana is higher over here, which means the 20, the 25%, the 30%, the things are, are, are very different. As a matter of fact, you can't forget that we're talking about Shepherds, which is also higher than the prices of juice of fruit and vegetables. And uh, things are kind of going That's one. Two, yes, there's a lot less help, I would say, uh, uh, from the welfare from government and things like that. And that's changing. Even the government is uh, in very, very good shape. And the collecting taxes, it's unbelievable. The collecting taxes in Israel is in a plus of over uh, uh, 15% of what they thought they were going to collect. Okay, there's no... There's no uh, uh, the budget is the 22 billion shekels of taxes that he collected more than the one he extended the last two months. And, but still, the government doesn't function. And not only not functioning, they don't care. There's no one that really cares over there and has to help the people. And there is a difficulty. The community is trying to help all over. The local community, generally, if it's the, the, the big organizations, everybody's trying to help. But yes, it is very difficult this year. Yeah, for people to get the pizza. And because what I said again, the prices that went up, the difficulties with transportation, uh, and the government is not functioning, which brings a lot of, a lack and a lot of issues. And uh, that, yeah, that means that uh, the pizza could be very, very difficult. And uh, all these organizations, the local, the general ones, they're trying to help. Cooper's on the docket in each town, each community. And today, the Haredi community is uh, divided between uh, from north to south, there's no, no place where there isn't at least uh, four or five hundred in the light. And the outside in the Shalai and Nebrak are still in the town, the seven is everywhere. And all these communities are really uh, fighting very much to help uh, people. As I often do when we meet and we talk, the situation is difficult. Yes, we all have a Muna, but it uh, still gets us nervous. Maybe it shouldn't. It shouldn't, but it does. But let's, let's hear some good news coming out of Eric Israel. We have to leave, tell our audience, and, and leave on a, on a positive note. What, what can you share? That, uh, like I said again, with all these difficulties, with all these difficulties, you see the, the, uh, the festival industry is rising. I mean, we have a, an example of the problem now that the Supreme Court is letting it come into the hospital. Yeah. But you see, even the doctor hospital, the other hospital, we're asking people not to do the economic even legally. And you see that the majority of the people over here are not meaning. We saw that now, you sort of have to apply past the way. You can sort of be tired of and having a soccer game, we have some crying. We all know it's not making you the summer, but that, that feeling, okay, you see it all around the country. The more they're trying to fight the light, the light is rising. Uh, you see them all around the country. You see the light is getting them on. You see the organizations doing a very good work to try to help them the light and to help people to go through this case. And you see the Tibur Amamin in El Tisrael growing and being like, yeah, what's all being difficult? Okay. We thank you. We wish you a high kosher zameach on a personal level. I hope to see you over Yotif. And, uh, we wish all the Jews to come to Israel for Korban Pesach this year already. We dollars to the big ceremony of the Korban Pesach and Pesach and Pesach. Big Jewish days are set. And they have real estate. Hey, well, This year, Pesach and Pesach. It's always a Pesach, a pleasure to see you.
Thank you very much. We welcome to the program Mr. Eli Palais, who most of us know as the publisher of Mishpaha magazine, which I hope uh, everybody receives on a weekly basis. But he's also chairman of the Haredi Institute for Public Affairs. And I'm going to ask Eli to explain to us what is the Haredi Institute of Public Affairs, what do they do, and with his knowledge, you know, as we're dealing with Arab Pesach this year and the issues affecting the Orthodox Torah community, he'll be able to give us a perspective on the Haredi community as well. And what are the issues facing them? So, Shalom Aleichem, and welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me, Rabbi Lerner. It's a great honor, a great opportunity uh, to be on the show. So first you ask uh, about the Haredi, Haredi Institute of Public Affairs. This is uh, an initiative that our family foundation started uh, seven years ago. As someone who was very much involved through our media work over the years in the relationship between Haredim and the rest of the Israeli society, we felt that there is a need to establish a serious think tank and research center to really be able to address the challenges in the Haredi society, mainly in the relationship between Haredim and government, but not just. As the Haredi society is growing and there is, it's not a secret, there is a big tension between our lifestyle, our Torah lifestyle, and the way that the government is looking at the Haredi society. And we find that in many areas, there is so many things that the government is looking at the Haredi society without a real understanding about their values, their special uh, um, community models and special education system. And at the end of the day, it's a lost loss situation because the state of Israel is losing opportunities that the Haredi society can contribute as a society with such a great uh, human resources and talent and so many interesting initiatives in Chesed and, and other areas. And the Haredi society is losing because um, they are paying the price of uh, very inefficient policy with the government. And talking about uh, the current situation coming to Earth Pesach, so yes, you can see many families that have the potential to make a much better living, and the reason why it's not happening is because in many areas, the way that, the, especially in Israel, the way that the government is treating the society is really lack of understanding. So over the years, uh, as uh, someone who was involved in many conversations and discussions um, regarding the Haredi society, we find that what we need to do is really to provide the decision makers in the government, but also in our society with more knowledge and data to enable them to create an efficient, efficient and a more productive policy that will enable our families and our society to make a better living. Interesting. And have, have you been successful? Yes, so, so as, as I mentioned over the, the first period of time in our work, the main goal was to get recognized by the government as an authority that is doing a, a great and, and reliable work. Uh, when we came to the field, there were some secular think tanks that they were dealing with Haredi society, and we felt that, A, most of them have no real understanding of the Haredi society, and unfortunately, um, all of them almost coming with some agenda regarding the Haredi society. We believe 
we also we also have an agenda. The agenda is to to look for the for the good for everybody. But as, as someone who is coming from within the Haredi society, we we believe that the potential of working cooperating with the Haredi society can create a tremendous contrib- contribution to the Israeli society. And over the past six years that we are working, we became officially and others for the Israeli government a trustworthy a place for data, for policy in many areas as employment, vocational training, housing, uh, kids at risk, and many others. And I think it's uh, in a way brings a lot of Kiddush Hashem to show that we as a society were taking the responsibility and, and cooperating and working together and being proud with the unique values that our society is bringing to the, to the general field. And have, we, have you been able to make an effect within the Haredi society? Has the Haredi society benefited? Absolutely. Um, when we started, the first big project we did was working with the government to create a master plan for housing of the Haredi society. Um, based on our plan was a government resolution for five years uh, uh, to really make a plan how many apartments are needed, um, what's the potential, and this is crucial. Everybody understands that if the housing is one of the biggest issues in Israel, uh, in general, not not just in Israel, but in Israel it's becoming a real issue because if you're not planning uh, uh, properly, so not just that people don't have the proper solutions, it's also created a lot of tension between Haredim and non-Haredim because what happens if you're not planning, so Haredim are, uh, believe it or not, they want to continue uh, to buy apartments, even if the government didn't plan it properly. And then they are moving to some uh, mixed cities or mixed neighborhoods, like Bechemesh, like uh, Kiryat Yuvel in Jerusalem, Arad, and other places. And without planning, so we are also facing not just uh, issues with affordable housing, we are dealing with issues of, of tension and fight between Haredi and non-Haredi. So we believe that for the sake of the state of Israel, uh, planning is the key. Having the right understanding what's the right, what's the right uh, plans and what needed to be done will help not just the Haredi, will help also the Israeli society to create more balance between areas that there is uh, mostly Haredim living and areas that can, and some Haredim can live or would like to live in a, in a special Haredi cities. Some would like to live in neighborhoods in a mixed cities. Some would like to live in, in a mixed neighborhood. And this is, I think, an example about how, in a very broad perspective, you can create solutions that contributing not just for the housing issue, contributing also for the creating a better achdus uh, between from and not from people in Israel. So has something resulted from that, or are we still in the planning stages? No, no. So the way we are working in, in our big projects is um, we're usually working with the government. Uh, just in the last year, we won three tenders to become officially an entity who can provide government like consulting firm, like the big firms who are working with the government. So we were recognized as a professional entity who can provide data policy uh, uh, strategy regarding the Haredi society. Um, so just to mention another big project, we just those days we, we finished a big employment plan for the ministry, the prime minister office and the ministry of Jerusalem, which will lead hopefully in the next few weeks, a government resolution to spend 
around 60 million shekels in special programs that they are, we find them relevant to the Haredi society. So yes, the government is willing to work, is trying to understand that there is a need to work to come with a different approach as in the past. And, and, and the way we are operating is always trying to find, to build a model and then to give it over to the government and to make it as a government resolution. And what's unique in this way is that we're not working through the political entities who are working with the professionals in the finance ministry, the labor ministry, um, economy ministry, and others, and the government uh, learned to appreciate the cooperation between the Haredi knowledge and, and their uh, the areas that they are looking to uh, make make an efficient policy. That's beautiful on the long-term level. Is there anything helping the men on the street in the short-term level? Is your interaction with the government enabling the government to help the Jew today on the street, whether it's... Uh... So, so, yeah, it's a good question. It's always, by the way, the challenge. Always the tension between long-term and short-term. I think that there is a lot of organizations and people and charity who are dealing with the short-term, and I think our main goal is to try to work in the uh, mid-level term uh, uh, and long-term term, because at the end of the day, if you really want to make a change, you have to look three, five, seven years ahead. Um, and one of the areas that we uh, find that really needs a revolution in the in the the way um, that the government was looking at was the vocational training of the Haredi girls. We're talking about uh, 10,000 girls who are finishing a high school seminary every year and letting their window of opportunity to get vocational training is the two years in the seminar. This is the way it works in Israel. They're staying two more years after high school in the seminar and besides getting uh, Torah studies and, and, and other, and other uh, Limud Kodesh, this is the opportunity to get vocational training. The problem was that the way that the government was looking at the Haredi society was that they gave them a very low level of vocational training programs that doesn't fit the potential of the super talented Haredi girls. So this is something that I can show a short-term effect that we, four years ago, we started to map up what areas um, there is a need to revise the plans and the program and the, and the syllabus for the Haredi, Haredi seminaries. We started with the high-tech. Today there is over 250 girls who finished this new program that was done together with the high-tech industry. And we showed that, yes, you can stay in a Haredi place. You don't have to go to university. I think this is something that we all aware and know that this is so important to our Rabboni that our girls will stay in a Haredi environment, but not on the expense that they won't be able to get a high-level education and high-level vocational training. And I must say that this is still something that we are fighting with the Israeli uh, government not just this one, I'm talking about the finance ministry, because they are trying to push Haredim as much as possible to go to universities, to colleges, to get their training. And and they are, it's very hard to convince them to support in, in our, in, within our system, in our seminaries, to agree to support high-level uh, uh, training programs and vocational training programs that fits uh, uh, the, the capacity of our talented and special girls. So in some areas, it's familiar that there is a big success, like in accounting. There is today hundreds of girls who are graduating every year and, and contributing a lot to their, to their um, business world. And we are 
we, we, we in the past four years we pushed for high tech as an example, but it, that doesn't end up just by the high tech. We're talking about the paramedical areas like uh, speech therapy and other areas that the government staff to support these kind of programs in the Haredi schools because in Israel now for to get a diploma in this field, you must get an academic degree. And again, we're trying to work according to the rabbinical leadership and trying to say that this, our, that our priorities is first to keep to keep our education. So the way the government is looking at this area, they're saying if Haredi girls want to get higher education, there is one place they have to go, which is Universities go to university, go to college, get a degree, uh, and we're saying no. We have we, we we are allowed to have our choice to keep our girls in in our business, in our institutions under the leadership of our rabbinical uh, leadership, and still giving them the opportunity to be able to get the top training, and not just to to for the sake of of their career, of their families, also for their potential contribution to the Israeli economy. So we are working hard to show that it works. So again, back to your question for the short term, yes, there is this kind of pilot that we can show. It's a proof of concept. If, if you are coming with, uh, together with the industry and together with, the, uh, in this case, with the high-tech industry, you can really, the sky, the, the sky is the limit. You can go to the highest level of education with academic courses and, 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 and giving the top, the top level of vocational training and still doing it under the Haredi system. So... If I have to conclude, I would say that the, our main goal is to try to uh, bring models that can allow our people to stay in our moistness and in our educational system without going out from the Haredi system. Without while, to, while getting the best education. Again, why? While you, you're able to do this, keep them in a good yeah. environment while giving them the best education in the fields they want to enter. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's, that's our goal and that works. And that's something that we can speak about short term. Long term, we are now working with the, to create a strategic plan to convince the government to look at vocational training. And, and it happened to be that it's not just a need for the Haredi society. People start to understand all over the world that in today's world and with today's technology, there doesn't make sense to spend four years to learn something that after two years became irrelevant. So there is some areas that, yes, you need further very long uh, uh, learning and education, but in many areas, it's much better to try to work uh, with short-term, high-quality programs, and then over the career, people need to continue to learn. And I think this is where we as a Haredi uh, are coming and challenging the system because Israel is still uh, trying to push very much that the only way you can get good education is by going to universities and colleges. And we're trying to prove that we can accomplish uh, high-quality solutions even without going to this, this kind of places. And by the way, same for Haredi men. Uh, uh, in the past 10 years, the government was pushing very much if Haredi men want, want to go to work. So the first step you have to go is to go and to get a degree in university. Why it's relevant for someone in the age of 26, 28, or 30 with three, four, five kids to spend three or four years going to get some degree instead of taking an intensive uh, vocational uh, training uh, uh, courses and getting some experience and, and then becoming much more relevant to the market than just lending them to universities. But I must say um, that what's special here in Israel that many times 
people who are in the position of decision-making are mixing between real solutions and the identity fight between Haredi society mm -hmm. and the non-Haredi society, right, right. trying to convince the Haredi society that they have to change, they have to teach your kids differently. And we are saying, we have a system of works, we have a system of Torah, we have a system of Chesed, and we would like, and again, whatever, uh, whatever can work, we will promote and make it work, but we are trying not to come with recommendations that are going to change the system because our main goal is not to prepare people for the work field. Our main goal is first to create the next generation of Torah people, people with, with the commitment to Torah and mitzvahs and etc. And we are showing that it's, it's possible to keep people in our system and still make them relevant to the marketplace. Let me ask you a, a difficult, challenging question. How is the Haredi community, how are the Haredi Rabbonim responding to these, the opportunities you're trying to build? So, not just they are responding, the idea four years ago when we started to deal with the, trying to reevaluate the vocational training in the Haredi seminars, the, the uh, idea came from one of the leading Rosh Hashivas who came to us and said, listen, we don't want our girls to go to universities, but at the same time we want them to be able to, to support a husband to sit and learn, and we understand that with the level of the vocational training that today the government provides in our seminary, it's becoming irrelevant. So, so the need came from the rabbinical leadership, and they say, we would like to see if you can recommend a model that will enable the seminaries to continue to be the main address for vocational training, but becoming much more relevant to the market. So I must say that we're working very closely with, with the Rabonim, the leading Rabonim, um, getting uh, Yitzhak Pinkus was the former CEO of the Mahon, um, and, and today we have in our team researchers and Haredi, Haredi fellows working together, and in each of these topics we are not moving before, going to Gdoyle Soil and Rabonim and Mechanchim, asking for their recommendation, what are you looking for, what's the best way that you would like us to work with you, and that's a great example, because at the end of the day, the Rabonim didn't just ask us to see if we can get them some uh, uh, new programs. The idea was, can you find us a solution? How we can bring a quality of academic training programs, but to bring them into our seminars without bringing the academia into our uh, 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 education system. So um, I think the Rabonim are seeing the benefit of working this way, and as an institute, the Haredi Institute, that comes with with the integrity and appreciation of Torah, we are able to do it without any agenda, just to see how we can really support our society and making the relationship between the Haredi and the non-Haredi society work much better. Interesting. We started the conversation, or part of this broadcast was the issues facing us Pesach of this year and financial challenges, and uh, you're taking it one step much farther is a chacham We're trying to you're trying to educate the, uh, the the Torah world, those that want to be able to make sure that when we have this conversation three four years down the road, the number of families that may need financial assistance around Pesach will be less because they're able to support themselves. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and again one. <clears throat> One of our goals is also to enable a young guy to want to sit and learn and would like to earn some money, but he doesn't need to live 
is learning in order to to be able to make some money, and he doesn't need to go to academia and and to stop learning. Trying to and part of our recommendations to the employment program for the prime minister office in the Jerusalem ministry was how we can help people who want to stay part time learning and still being able to do evening hours or, or weekend hours and, and trying to get some some additional income and and I'm happy to say that uh, uh, after that we build the trust over the years we see that they are really open to hear to look for new ideas to hear uh, uh, new ideas and understanding that the only way to work with the college society is not to come in with ideas how to change the society is really how to work with the society based on their based on their needs and based on their values. And I think this is the direction that I hope to see uh, continuing in the next uh, year or two. Okay. Eli Pelet, we thank you. This is uh, insightful. Thank you very much. It's very insightful to see that we're, that our community under your leadership is thinking about the future. And uh, hopefully, again, as I mentioned, families will be able to support themselves and uh, they'll be amongst those who will be able to give Kimcha de Pisco, rather than those who will be asking for Kimcha de Pisco. So, uh, thank you very much, and Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach, and thank you, and Shiloni Yipsilos to us. Amen. If you peruse the pages of your local or national Orthodox newspapers and magazines, you'll find advertisements for Pesach programs throughout the United States, Israel, but also Morocco, Dubai, Greece, and many other very interesting places. We wish those programs much, much Hatzlocha, and we hope that everybody participating will have a wonderful Yantash. But on the other hand, there are so many advertisements in the papers, in the magazines, for so many important tzedakah causes throughout the United States, and especially Eretz Yisrael, programs and campaigns to help out so many Yidin who need the extra help for Pesach. Joining us on headlines is Rav Yitzhi Weinberg, Executive Director of the Flatbush Community Fund, one of those important funds and important centers that are helping out so many people. And let's hear from the man on the street what's going on, and perhaps we can better understand why this year seemingly is uh, there's much more demand. So Rav Yitzhi, thank you for joining us. Thank you, uh, Rabbi Pesachon. I, I really appreciate this opportunity. Uh, and, and what you said is absolutely true. There really is, you know, you, you, like you said, you go through the magazines and there are a tremendous amount of programs and some people are able to afford it. Uh, but definitely this year, we see more than other years, is just an incredible need, the amount of people that need help. And um, again, just, just for the numbers that we see ourselves, uh, judging from last year to this year, last year, our fund was able to help approximately 875 families in the Flatbush area. Uh, this year, we already have over 1,100 applications and more applications keep on coming in. And I think, you know, that part of the reason is obviously inflation has been a tremendous, uh, you know, burden on, on middle income and lower income families, as well as also last year, there were, you know, a number of, of subsidies and government programs. This year, there's not. And the combination of those two factors have really made a lot of families that in previous years were able to, you know, scrape by. Pesach is obviously an expensive time of the year. And in previous years, they would be able to they were able to manage. And this year, they just walk into the grocery store and, and it's, it's just beyond them. And, uh, you know, they, they really need help in order to make this Important as it is. So what's your budget? What are you trying to raise? So, what does it cost? What does it cost to help 11, 1,200? And Pesos not here yet. They're going to go walk into the store? 
and many people don't realize they can't make it on their own, and they're going to come back to you. So what are you, what have you, what have you put people out? What are you raising? What are you projecting? What are you helping this year? Right, so we, we really put a lot of effort on trying to get people to apply early so that we could try to prepare and budget accordingly. But like you said, it's it's impossible because there are there are all those people who felt that in previous years they were able to manage until they actually you know went into the stores and realized that, that it was just beyond them. Uh, we we you know try to prepare for that as well. You know our campaign. Quite honestly, we had uh, we had prepared a budget of 1.5 million. That's you know our campaign goal now for a thousand families. Uh, we do you know we vary the uh, the amounts given based on family size. Uh, everything's verified with Rabunim and so on and so forth. And really, like you said, we're already we're already at over 1,100 applications. So we're we're going to have to increase our you know our campaign to make sure that we can cover those people as well. So that, that's really what it comes down to. We give out typically between uh, we you know we have a food pantry in which we provide food. And then we also give out grocery cards and checks. And uh, between the grocery cards and the checks, we give out typically between one to $2,000 per family. Again, as I mentioned, depending on family size. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty significant amount of money. It's, you know, it can really make the difference of someone being able to afford Pesach or not being able to afford Pesach. We also try to add in to our you know, food boxes some additional items as well. You know, we, we just uh, bought a brisket, uh, excuse me, a pastrami for everyone for, you know, to put into the boxes for young kids, try to get some stuff for the kids as well. Uh, so we, we try to level it up again so that when people go into Yantif, they're able Able to, to really have a simple synthesis and uh, between the you know the grocery cards and between the checks it's a substantial amount of money that could really like I said make the difference for them to be able to enjoy Yantis. Wow this is you know you think of Flatbush as a wealthy community and uh, let me ask you a question how old is this as a Flatbush community fund where did you guys get started I mean is it a new endeavor are the needs new or give us a little background so we can put in perspective the entire economic scale that's typical happening to Flatbush. And we can only imagine that this is happening in communities across the country. The need is there. The challenge is there. Just using Flatbush as a, as a sample. But tell me, how long has the Flatbush Community Fund been around? Why did it get started? And is it is all this symbolic of the economic reality that we're in today? Yeah, so absolutely. That's, that's, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, the Flatbush Community Fund was started approximately four years ago, and it was started by a group of Balbatim and Flatbush who recognized you know, Flatbush is a, a, an old, established Jewish community. Uh, it's, it's a very vibrant community. And they're, like you said, it has a perception that it's a very affluent community. And Baruch Shandar, many, many people here who are, you know, are able to spend money as they wish. Uh, but the flip side of that is, is that in such a large community, there are a lot of people who are struggling. There are a lot of people who, until now, you know, even though Flatbush was around for so long and there was a tremendous amount of chesed organizations and, and people helping out other, you know, other people, there wasn't a central place for people to go to for assistance, knowing that this is the Flatbush address, that if someone needs help in Flatbush, or from the other side, if someone wants to donate and wants to know that, they're, you know, that their funds are going to be helping their friends, their neighbors, uh, the people they see in the store, the people they walk, you know, they walk next to in the, uh, on the streets, they were able to now have a place where they could go to and uh, be able to make sure that those people were being helped. So it was, it was in the, when we first started, there was a you know, certain amount of resistance uh, or a lack of understanding 
as to the needs of the community. Uh, the, the, you know, to paraphrase, you know, something that we heard many times when we first started, Flatbush has been around so long. What's, you know, uh, everything's been going, you know, just fine until now. What do you need to start this for? And over the, over the last four years, we've done a tremendous job of just being able to change that perception and really get into the community and showcase the community. And as you stated, the truth is, uh, we've had numerous communities reach out to us over the last, you know, few years, um, you know, asking us for what we've done, how we've done it, at, you know, trying to get some advice on how they could perhaps start, start something like this in their own communities. And of course, we're, you know, we're, we're happy to help anyone that, you know, would like that information. And it's really created a tremendous amount of community awareness and the, you know, just, just bringing the community together and showcasing how many people in Flappers really need help. And actually, I'll tell you something interesting. We, uh, we, we started this last year and it had, a tr- it had like a really, uh, it was a, a great thing to do. And we did it again this year. If you go onto our website now, our campaign website, which is helpflappers.org, we actually have an address tracker. You could put in your address and it'll show you how many people within a quarter mile radius applied for assistance. And when we wow. did that last year, it, it really, really brought home to people. They put in their address and like, like you just said, wow. They never imagined that there were so many people in, in again, a, a quarter mile radius. It's not that far that applied and need help. And that really, it really brought the, you know, it brought that home about that as, as, Affluent as Berkshire, many, many people in Flatbush are, there are a lot of other people who really need help in, in Berkshire and you know, other, the other people have been stepping up. That idea of quarter, quarter mile radius, how many of your friends and neighbors need help is a, is a, is a powerful tool. Forget about the guilt factor that I'm, I may be able to afford something and my neighbor's not, but it really brings home that you are really helping your neighbor. It's not the, the guy on the street, the guy you may walk to shore with. If then you may sit out, you, you may sit next to insurers. His kids are his kids in your kids' class. That's a very creative and interesting tool to uh, to share. Now, I guess Flappers can do it because it's a, a lot of people living in a smaller area. But you know, if other communities do that within a mile radius, a two mile radius, it would bring something really home. What do you guys yeah, do? Yes, yeah, for sure. Besides, besides Pesa, what are you what are you guys involved in? Once I got you on the phone and we're learning about the Flatbush Community Fund, what else do you guys do during the year? Uh, so we we have a number of different programs. Uh, like I, I mentioned before, you know, our food pantry program uh, is, is a year-round food pantry. We're actually in the process of transitioning over to digital food pantry, which is pretty cool. It basically means that people will be able to order the food online, so they won't have to, you know, come into a food pantry and and you know walk around the food pantry and choose items. They'll be able to choose it from the cuff, from the comfort of their home, and then be able to just come in and pick up the food product. So it, it just preserves a lot of their dignity. It makes things a lot smoother. It lets people really, you know, plan ahead and choose the foods that they're getting. So that's that's something that we're really excited about. And um, and then we also, we, we have an interest-free loan to Mach. We've, you know, loaned out over a million dollars already to people in the community. Uh, we have an emergency assistance program for, you know, people who are behind in rent, mortgage, or utility payments. Uh, we open grocery accounts to people as well throughout the year. We've opened up hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of accounts uh, for, again, to supplement the food pantry. And again, not not during, you know, Pesach and Yunta season when we have our, you know, Yunta assistance program, but just during the year when people are, are struggling to pay for groceries. So we've, like I said, we've opened up hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of grocery accounts. We also have a wedding assistance program that we partner with another organization that's, that gives out thousands of dollars 
to you know, Flappish families that are making weddings, uh, a financial mentoring program. Uh, right now, we've been targeting single parents, and in, in soon, soon we're going to be able to roll that out to the entire community as well. Uh, we, uh, One of our first, actually, I would say our very first program was a tutoring program that we now have in 13 yeshivas and vizakos in Flappish, where we fund a tutor that's in the school that goes to kids that needed uh, that need the extra help but otherwise weren't able to afford it. And it's also, it's, it's just seen marvelous, amazing reviews from teachers, Rebain, the principals, the parents. Uh, the feedback we've gotten has just been, you know, has, has been incredible. Um, and then just recently, we started a home goods distribution where we've, you know, we've had these large distributions where we've uh, given out tables. We have another one coming up soon. We're actually going to be giving out mattresses. Uh, before Hanukkah, we had a whole toy, uh, toy distribution. Before Purim, we did costumes. And our latest program that we're just starting right now is for bar mitzvahs uh, to help bar mitzvah boys or their families uh, pay for their, you know, pay for tefillin. So it's, it's a rapidly growing organization. We have a number of other programs that we plan on starting uh, that Amitriam will be able to get underway soon. And uh, it's programming. It, it's really only due to the fact that uh, the Flavish Community Fund has an incredible board, has, has incredible volunteers, has people that have really, really rallied behind the community, behind the organization that have allowed us to, you know, to accomplish this amount in, in you know, a fairly short amount of time. Well, I'm, I've been in the Askunas world for a lot of years. And I'm I'm impressed. I'm impressed that this is this is Aniye Ircha, code them to the full extent of, of the word. It's Mika Amcha Yisrael taking the initiative and and going out to help other people. And I'm going to ask you a, a question. That's your 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 boxing, right? Are these younger guys who who, who stepped up to the plate? Are new people who may have learned it at their homes and have taken a sense of Achrayus? Above and beyond what the community has had until now? Uh, so I, I will say the initial group of people that started the organization, and again, this is you know, also largely just due to, uh, you know, one person having the idea of telling his friends who, you know, tell, you know, would tell his friends, acquaintance, and so on. Uh, the, the initial group of people, uh, I would definitely say trended towards, like you said, the younger generation. Um, but since we've started, again, we, we've, we've been very successful, Baruch Hashem, um, and, and this is, like you said, in Mikam Yisrael, just the, you know, people just want to help other people. We've definitely, the older, the older generation has gotten involved, continues to get involved. Uh, so while it started a little bit more from the younger generation, uh, by, by now, I would say that we have a fairly nice, you know, swath of the, of the, you know, Flappers community that's involved, that, do, that donates, that volunteers, that's, you know, that, that helps out the organization. Wow. Beautiful. Mom is beautiful. So let me ask you a question. This is Pesach time. We know Pesach is expensive. Matzah has gone up and meat has gone up and chicken, everything's gone up, okay? But what do you see from your experience vis-a-vis uh, the matzah of, 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 of a Ben Yisrael, of, of, of an Orthodox Jew on the economic front? Where is this going in the future? Do we see, you've been in financial monitoring, you answered. Are we seeing that this is a, Technical problem, they don't know how to move their money around, or they don't know how to, how to, how to plan accordingly, or do you see this as a, as a serious problem going forward? I mean, uh, we know that housing is expensive wherever foreign Jews live because there's a supply and demand and we have to live near the shuls. We know that education is expensive. We know that kosher food is expensive. I mean, where do we go? Is this are we going to be putting Band-Aids on for a long time? In your experience and your interacting with all these people, how do you see uh, the future of uh, economic scale for the typical uh, from 
family? It's a great question, and it, it unfortunately probably doesn't have as easy of an answer as everyone would want. Um, it, it is a challenge. There's obviously there are a lot of you know it's a multifaceted question. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you for example, you know I, I got the progress report back from one of the people in our financial mentoring program, and um, over the course of the program, she was really able to turn around her financial situation just from having a mentor, uh, being able to clearly see where her money was going, uh, what she needed to spend on, what she didn't need to spend on, uh, how, you know, the the coach you know uh, brainstormed with her different ways how she could increase her income and it was it was extremely liberating to her she came out of you know came out of the uh, you know finished with the coaching and she had a new lease on a new perspective I should say on what exactly she needed to do so there's there's certainly that aspect of there's a tremendous amount of education that needs to be done that could be done and that will help out the situation like you said though it is true uh, the the places where you know from you live tend to be expensive because of, like you said, supply and demand. Uh, and there's no great answer. Obviously, one answer is in something that we're, you know, we're working on, as I mentioned before, you know, some of the programs that, we've, that, that, that we want to start is something in the, in the job arena to help people train for new jobs, help people with you know, resumes, job training in order to be able to get higher paying jobs. Uh, housing is obviously a very you know, serious uh, issue that, again, it's definitely something that we've had numerous conversations about to try to see what could be done about it. And um, it's, it's, you know, to a certain degree, there, you know, we're, we're never going to be able to eradicate uh, poverty from, uh, you know, from, from, you know, from the from community again, you know, the you know, Mara says that, but uh, we we have to do our best. So the way I see it is, if there are Yidin that are struggling, we have to help them. Now again, we want to help them in the best possible way we can. So the more the most immediate thing is, let's say for example, Pesach. They need, they need money for Pesach. Telling them that you're going to retrain them and get a better job uh, doesn't help them for Pesach. Uh, so we have to help them for Pesach. And then the holistic approach that, that we're working on that we have already to some degree in, in building further is to be able to create that infrastructure where we could help them, you know, not just give them the fish, but teach them how to fish and be able to at least, you know, for whatever we can, uh, try to alleviate the issues that a lot of families are facing. Sitting here listening, and how do you say shepping nachas from what car you throw individually and collectively are concerned about. It's, it's, uh, we have a tough situation, but it's definitely refreshing to hear that there are people who are taking an interest, putting in their cocos, their efforts, their funding, their finances, their brain power, come up to a solution. And uh, hopefully we can, you and we and everybody else who's doing this in their community can do this, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu hopefully will, will change. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will definitely send his direction we may not understand what he's doing and how he's doing it, but that he's definitely watching and participating. Let me ask, you mentioned before, if somebody wants to donate, or if someone wants us to find out some of these programs and how they can bring them to their community, what's their, they can contact you through your website. What's your website again? Uh, yes, so our website Our website for the year is fcfund.org. That's Flappers Community, F-U-N-D, so F-C fund.org. Uh, our campaign website, you know, for this campaign is helpflatbush.org. Um, and our phone number is 718-650-3545. And uh, anyone, you know, happy to speak to anyone. You know, anyone could reach out by phone, by email at contact at fcfund.org. Um, and, and again, I just want to go back to that last point you said, having a front row seat, um, like you said, it, it really is incredible. The stories I see of 
people really putting themselves out to help other people, whether it's financially, whether it's with their effort, their time. It's it's really it's 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 really incredible to watch. I could you know if we had a lot more time, I could tell you plenty of stories. As you know, I'm sure you can as well. And it's re- it's really me compris. So it's amazing. It's incredible, and it's a beautiful thing to be able to be to be able to see every day. So Rabbi Yitzhi Weinberg, Executive Director of the Flappers Community Fund, thank you. My bracha to you and to all community funds is that one day we should all be out of business because Kaisal doesn't need us, because Kaisal has the Panosa and Kaisal has uh, what they need, and everybody's able to make it on their own. Till that bracha is Rukuyim, Yashikar, for all you do. And uh, again, I want to emphasize that I am sure, without question, I can go down dozens and dozens and dozens of cities across the United States that we're in who have similar programs. Again, it's Tom Shabbos or Martin Maseser or any tzedakah fund. And uh, that is something special and unique amongst the Orthodox Reform community that we take care of our own, service our own, and everybody else. We service our own, we take care of our own. And that's something beautiful. That should be a source that takes us into the Zman Chayu we should make it as Manche was saying to everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Amen. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to welcome Rabbi Mendy Merasnik to the program. Rabbi Mendy Merasnik has many titles. For the sake of this discussion, he is president of the Council of Jewish Organizations, Kojo of Staten Island. He is an NYPD, New York Police Department, Kalusha Liaison, and he also serves as the Executive Vice President of the Rabbinical Alliance of America, the Eagle Rabbin. Welcome, Rav Mendy. Good morning, Rabbi Lerner. Honored to be here. Thank you. Uh, as we've talked throughout this program, the situation in Eretz Israel is getting, uh, I don't want to use the word interesting, I don't want to use the word dangerous, but starting with the Petira of Saratara of Chaim Kanievsky, Zechat Sadik, Kalish Kavocha, and it's really hard to say those words out sound, but uh, unfortunately. And then there were three terrorist attacks that we know, Beersheva, Chadera, a couple days ago in Bnei Brak. And today, as we're producing the show, there was a stabbing on a bus in, in us in Eretz Yisrael. Do, do you have any feelings? Do those events in Eretz Yisrael affect us in America? What's the security situation in America? Are things getting better? Are getting worse? Should we be concerned? Your thoughts, please. Well, the first thing is Maisa Avay Simin Labanam. Unfortunately, in Vilna, it was perhaps from the graves Kederli Yisrael of Chaim Maisa Gradinsky. Rabbi Vilna, the Talmud of the Star Talmud of the Chavis Chaim. And the German Jemach Shemo, Operation Barbarossa, happened on June 22, 1940, where they went to Little, Lithuania, Estonia, and they went to uh, Russia, Ukraine, and they made Barbiyah thereafter. So the Tsarist of Klyestral many times is held back because of the Tsaratira, like uh, Rav Chaim. And the Rav Chaim of there, the Rav Chaim Eiser Gwadinsky, Nebuch history repeats itself and mirrors itself. When uh, Maishu Rabbeinu left the world and Yeshua ben Nun took over the baton and the mantle of Jewish leadership, the Malach that Maishu Rabbeinu held back after Chet Egel took effect. So whenever there is a, uh, a major upheaval in the Eilam HaTayra, Unfortunately, historically, there will be repercussions because our protectors, our malachim, the extra shmira from the Abish to the Bainishalaylam, gets abated. However, I do know we have an avtacha. When Rav Cook was in America, 
in, 19, in World War II, FDR sent a message to the chief rabbi not to board his ship to return to Palestine. And, uh, and Rav Cook responded to Tzal that um, uh, the only two um, Chorb Chorbanes recorded, and there won't be a third, in the Yish of and we know the Rommel, Yomach with the Germans, or not, or did not extinguish Tyre, because there was the goal, the Russian of Hashem. So the first thing, from a theological level, Whenever we suffer a loss of a God will be Israel, and we always have Tsaris, and we those and I get to Beta Father Mishpach of Gansklai Israel, because all of us are the children of the Gedalim, that's the Tatan Shemayim, our Father Heart in Heaven, to protect you to stop these calamities from reoccurring. Regarding anti Semitism, unfortunately, prior to COVID it was a serious uptick in anti-Semitism. I look at certain statistics from organizations that claim to be the experts in keeping tally. There's an ADL, for better or for worse, but their job is to keep a tally, and they could confirm that there was a dramatic rise in anti-Semitism. And even in the course of COVID, there were all types of usage by certain individuals of uh, Nazi slogans or propaganda equating uh, COVID and use it uh, to, to the Holocaust. And many times it might have been innocently done, deliberately done, whatever the case is, words hurt. My Baba Flakes is again, a Vardstite, a Pachkite. Uh, you guess a smack goes away, the bruise leaves, but the word, the damage, the emotional damage, and saying something, the scarring, a chayim by mother's be at a lush and stays. And unfortunately, whether it was well-meaning or intentional, it was a case-by-case analysis, comments were made, and that sort of led to a, a brew. Comments were made that Jews are a vector of disease, all type of problems, which is not true, not accurate, and there was a rise in anti-Semitism. We're still feeling it now. You go into Crown Heights, or Borough Park, Flappish, or Williamsburg, the uh, anti-Semite or the one who doesn't love Jews who has issues with the Jewish community, whatever the, their reasons are, usually unjustified, and they attack Jews randomly, and it's a, it's a major problem. The common denominator is that we talk about anti-Semitism on a practical level. We have to look at the Orthodox community, the front population in particular, and why do I say that? A uh, secular Jew could blend into society. A frimiyid, but the barden pious, but the yamake, and Dreisen, or even if he doesn't have that, he's more modified, his refined character becomes a target, unfortunately, and you can't hide that. So we have two things to look at, the broad thing of anti-Semitism, and the second thing to look at the particular fears and problems that Orthodox Jews have, and it's a problem. Yes, when they attack a synagogue in Colleyville or they attack a synagogue in Pittsburgh, they're not making a distinction between what type of Jew prays there, what type of rabbi is there, etc. But they're attacking a Jew walking down the street because he's physically identifiable as a Jew. We know they hit a whole new level of anti-Semitism. And that, that to occur in New York City, which it has the largest population of the Jews outside of Irish Israel, is very alarming. Okay. Wow. Very informative. Question. You recently served on Mayor, New York Mayor Eric Adams' transition committee. So you have Correct. internal inside information. You are a New York Police Department collegial liaison. What's happening today? We're holding two weeks before Zman Hussein, before the end of the Pesach. Um, what's happening today? What are you getting from the police? Are they concerned? 
Are there, at least in New York, are they putting extra security around the shuls? Uh, what do you hear? Well, tonight, as a matter of fact, that my council of Jewish organization had, College of Staten Island, which represents 60 synagogues, Jewish organizations, and institutions across the board, including 13 Meisters and Stiebloch from the Nuchasilish population in the island, we're conducting our annual, we call pre-Pesach, pre-Passover security meeting with police, fire, and sanitation to various needs. The previous administration was the previous administration, so I have to live in the here and now with a further look, but also looking in the rearview mirror what to fix up, what to repair, what to avoid from the previous administration. The current administration, so far I have to give Mayor Adams credit, he conducted a meeting, I was there, emergency meeting in anti-Semitism in, in, um, in City Hall, his new police commissioner was there, his uh, deputy mayor of, of, of safety was there, Banks. The school chancellor was there. He is trying to tackle the major issues facing the city. I also give him credit that he is also taking on the issue of bail reform. Unfortunately, if there's no fear of society, there's no fear of, rep of repercussions or consequences, then sometimes uh, the Eighth Sahara comes out and could encourage and does encourage bad behavior. So it's essentially what I see the mayor doing, he is tackling the issue heads-on. He has brought back the anti-crime unit. As a whole, I believe the mayor is trying to put the city back on track of safety, public safety. He's made it clear there's no room for anti-Semitism in, in the city of New York where he's mayor. He also made it clear on gun violence has to be prosecuted. He also made it clear and raised the age where they removed from juvenile, um, uh, where, where they removed from criminal court uh, over the age of 16 or 17. P people involved in uh, gun violence and crime and to prosecute them as children, he has removed that because the reality is that you have advanced criminals that will take teenagers, put them up front to commit a crime, and then when the crime is committed, the child claims I'm a child. So you, can, you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't be kinderish and and do adult serious crimes at the same time. Not to, not to get too much into another discussion, the Torah has been serving Ben Myra for a reason, because we have to examine criminal behavior in the youth and take proper steps to curtail it and eradicate it before it goes out of hand. Now what the mayor is dealing with is a reality, a reality where we allow lawlessness, carelessness. It doesn't matter why. But the bottom line, it was permitted. And once people become the people are used to having a fkerish, and you can do what you want, and the chutzpah goes out of control, you have a crime spike. But I do believe that the mayor is taking the, the right steps. I also want to say we're very fortunate in the Jewish community to have a community affairs unit. It's a wonderful inspector, Inspector Richard Taylor, who is uh, officer's officer. He works well with all communities, with the Muslim, Jewish, and Christian communities. He understands our needs and he's coordinating with the mayor from one police plaza the annual pre-Passover meeting. Having that all in mind, security is all local. And the local Jewish organizations, if they do not have a kojo, should, should make a kojo, or at least a vad, and they should collectively meet with their police to, to, to discuss when they're having their davening, what we call services, functions, bread burning, what we call beer hummus, but they call it bread burning for that purposes, when our activities are going on. So at least at a minimum, the New York City should have their house of worship patrol car go from all the synagogues or stibloch to have a presence. And as a community, when you see a police officer on the street by your shul, stop davening if you can, 
have the Rav give halachic guidance for the shul, bring him in, ask him his name, thank him from the bima, send a letter to the police after the event that officer so-and-so, let's see, officer, uh, I'll pick the name, uh, officer O'Connor, Joe O'Connor was here today, and we thank, uh, com- um, we thank the commissioner for the police for having, he came in or she came in and showed us uh, a little love. So we this have message, to... This message is good. I mean, you're talking about New York, but our audience is uh, all over the place, but it's, it's important. It's important to be in contact with your local police and security. It's important to welcome them and thank them. But what about the common citizen? Whether What are your feelings, whether you're in New York, in this community you mentioned, or you're anywhere else across the country, what sh- should the common citizen be nervous? Should the common citizen change his or her activities? Or what advice do you give the common citizen as they uh, go about their activities over Yontif and Holomoid and wherever the case may be? Well, first of all, we should never be afraid to be a proud Jew. A proud Jew, we never should be afraid. And also, the more we engage in proper Torah and Mitzvahs, and Rabbi Learn is a huge Talmud Chacham, a place like the Pasuk, that the guy will be sure I can tell it to you. He might not want me to say it, but it's As long as you put your tzvillin on correctly, you daven correctly, a ruach comes out to protect everybody. we got to take our Yiddishkeit with pride. We eat the masses with pride. We put tzvillin on with pride. We daven with pride. When a Yid learns Torah, a special shchina comes over and protects us. we got to do our job. But after we do our shtadlis, there's a reality. And we cannot be fools. So at the same token, we should never use the fear of rise of anti-Semitism to be afraid that we are a yid, we're a yarmulke, to have the sisters hanging out. We can't change our ways. The moment you acquiesce and you change our ways, we're giving the sutton the ammunition to attack us. We have to be stark in our own observance, and there's a reason an abishu doesn't give a challenge that we cannot overcome. Now, of course, I don't think we hit the level where we have to be afraid, like in England, to take a yarmulke or put a bowler hat at and merge in with the general population. We also have to be cognizant to be more intelligent. Not every place is New York with the police department has more resources. You go to places like Texas or Florida where the taxes are lower. There's a reason why it's lower, because you're not paying for certain services, whether it's education, whether it's policing. Those communities have to make adjustments. Maybe they have to form COJO security committees. There's strength in numbers. The Rabbanim have got to get together, and they have to speak with the lay leadership. That uh, let's say we have ten shuls in this town, and we got to coordinate when our davening is going on, when our events are going on. We all have to know, and we have to chip in together. Let's say hire extra security. We have to know where our children are. It comes Friday night to Shabbos. And our children want to go to a pierche or to a rebbe's house for a shear or just even to have an oinik shabbos and have a have soda and potato chips. We have to make certain that they go in groups, a buddy system. There are certain precautions we have to do as intelligent individuals. Anyway, we should be doing it. But kalvachomre fortieri under this set of circumstances. So we have to be uh, not fearful to be proud Jews. We should go into our sukkahs when sukkahs comes. We should carry our lul of in our hands, carry our talisim to show with pride, put our boys. He knows not to be afraid. We keep us through God, not to be afraid. Have the sisters flowing. It's all a Kiddush Hashem. By the same token, we should go together as groups. We have adults go together as groups. We should, on our own, curtail our own liberty with Seichel. 
and at, at the same time we're showing ourselves to be strong, you're not giving what the anti-Semite or the Jew hater wants, and that is to shut down the shuls, shut down the programs. But with Seichel, we could do it. A simple tip with shuls, shuls, if you cannot hire security, try to, if you have an Ashkama minion, try to get the men of the Ashkama minion. If they want to learn, they're blocked because they're working the whole week, and they go to Ashkama minion special to catch up on the daf. Have one of them sit by the door, and if they hear a knock, or see who it is to let them into the building. So there's certain internal steps, which is this interview goes past those steps, should be a broad checklist for the global Jewish community, even in New York. Simple Seichel Dicker steps. We should install a phone in every shul where we have we can have access to 911, maybe old-fashioned landline, so in case digital power goes down or it's a problem with Wi-Fi service. We should make our Wi-Fi services working well. And like in New York, you're building what you call um, building reviews. For the NYPD, a crime, um, um, a, um, a crime prevention unit can come down to a building assessment, tell you your security needs. Some of the needs are not expensive. Other the needs may cost money. We've got to make sure we get cameras in. We should work with our local congressional representatives. I know some bipartisan issue. Whether Trump was president or Biden is now president or whoever the president is, I know the OU, Igudharabanim, all thanked. The uh, local New York and the federal government for pumping more money into security, we should hire grant writers. So if let's say a shul cannot afford, we should get the grant writer together working on security. But which has to be done by achdos seichel, has to be done by yichen shom b'leivechad, people working on the agenda of helping each other. Whether you like Alciana, like I am, sweet gefilte fish, whether you like ungarish or sour gefilte fish, we should make sure when it comes, whether you like, uh, whether you like lachmerajan to eat, lachmerajan to eat, you gotta, gotta make sure we could all enjoy the chal and the chama together in safety. And this is something where we got to come together as a VAD, maybe as a Shalmum group as a VAD, work together on Sechelic approaches, which is beyond this phone conversation, but those are the first steps. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I covered a lot of ground, a lot of ideas, a lot of information. And now, you, you got to get filter fish. I love get filter fish. Okay. My favorite meal, don't tell anybody. Let's, let's go off on the get filter fish for a second. You open up the pages of... Uh, our local and national magazines and newspapers. When it comes to Pesach, Baruch Hashem, we have many programs in all far-fetched parts, fancy places of the world from wherever it is. And uh, Baruch Hashem, our community, many people are able to afford it. They have a wonderful Pesach, and we wish them all a wonderful Chakosh But on the other hand, there are many, many families in our community and who can't afford Pesach. And uh, you, I know that Kojo by you is having a, a Pesach drive, a campaign. Can you tell us, going, tell us what's going on? Is this year different? Are there other well, factors? Are there factors that are different? Are more people needy? Um, is this a temporary Pesach issue? Or is this really uh, something we have to live with and deal with? Rabbi Lerner, that's a very serious question because every year, pre, pre, previous to COVID, we were the essential first-line workers of Klaisol, our Rabbanim, our Rebbeim, I know by the Igud, we have Dayanim, who live basically in poverty. Have they chosen a profession like an attorney or they chosen a profession like a doctor or lawyer? The same Tamidei Chacham and Chavri Akailo would have been very wealthy men. Instead, they're struggling because of 
that keep the Torah around, which protects the world, in the traditions of Chaim Lezer Krasinski or of Chaim Kanievsky's Echasadikalos Ravacha, just was Nifter. So our frontline essential workers are Rabbanim, our Rebbeim, are suffering. COVID just um, 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 uh, multiplied the issue, and especially now with the rise of inflation, and the, which is uh, unbelievable, but from Rosh Hashanah and now the rise of inflation of food products. I was looking at from the pantry at $9 a pound for chicken. I blessed David Greenfield, Aaron Sipistein, Benjamin Zaints, Rebecca Glass from Met Council in Jewish Poverty for stepping up and helping out Kojo as well as a, a tremendous amount of over 150 pantries in New York. It's unbelievable. The average person who's paying his paycheck goes down but the paycheck and the prices go up, and even if the paycheck remains steady, what he received before COVID, with all the height saws and ice scabbers and expenses, the meager amount, the shrinking middle class is feeling it this year. I have people coming to a pantry, never went to a pantry line because their their their, their middle class professional job is not keeping up with the bills, especially by senior citizens and pensions. Like we have a lot of former teachers, we have other former city workers who people people in Social Security, their income is being uh, hurt because the dollar is not, cannot stretch far enough to make everyday needs, let alone for Pesach needs. So this year, it is much different than years before. Hopefully with Hashem, the economy will get stabilized. I do not know how much we can roll back the damage that was caused. But Hashem is Rahman is that the damage should not continue. So our essential workers are Rebbeim, people in Clay Kaidish should be able to uh, keep the community going. If you can't get the Daf Yaimi going, and I've learned it did it for years in the LIR, made a see him. But if you can't get that rebellion and they have to give up giving their Dafyami shears and entirely learn, we'll have even a bigger spike in anti-Semitism because our, our protection goes away. And what we about, have to be careful. You, 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 you're talking about Kodesh. What about the simple who's working and trying to um, put food on the table for his family? We know in our community the cost of housing and the cost of chinuch and the cost of kosher food and everything else is more expensive. The typical family in your community, how are they dealing with, as you said, the, the expense, the prices, the cost of living that's going up, the inflation? We're feeling and, and it. And the Pasha Tiyid is full of mitzvahs. And the Pasha Tiyid's mitzvahs protect Israel. Let me qualify that. You can, you know, the, the story with the Gera Rebbe, where the Gera Rebbe told his chassid, the basis role of Father Krieg, that he cr- went crying, how can I go Davin Meirev? He came to me to fix his shoes on Mashiach. If I don't fix the shoes, or Davin Meirev, I might not fix the shoes in time. So the Rebbe said, you fix the shoes, Davin B'Yechidus, Papa Trey and Eugen, cry when you say, Heiligetat in Himmel, look what happened to Yiddish folk who are reduced to such poverty. But even the Pasha to Yid, the mitzvah he does, keeps the world going. I never, don't, not to exclusion of that. I'm saying Kalvachem on steroids, who is our Klei Kaivish. But even the Pasha Yi that's working, his expenses are going up. Yeshiva tuition is going up. Skalim is going up because Yeshiva's got to pay more money. Heat, electric. They don't want to have a bracha yivarecha chashem vishmarecha. God sustain you, the electric company. They'll take your bracha with the check and they'll take the check without your blessing. But all jokes aside, everybody's suffering now and the coal, the cost of living adjustments are not kicking in at all. Salaries aren't back. And even salaries are the levels of pre-COVID. People cannot make bills. And the biggest pantry consumer we're having right now are the working poor. People that that went down financially, they lost money, or people that are struggling because they can't make ends meet. So we have an economic problem on the level. I just tell people, don't be embarrassed. Let's all work together. And if you need a package, reach out to the resources in your community and work with them.
Looks like the Sten- looks like the Stanton Island community is well taken care of, organized, whether it's security or concern for their fellow Jew. And uh we appreciate it. I know there are many, many other communities across the United States that have similar activities and similar organizations and they're very much concerned. But it's it's important I think it's important that our listeners and understand the problems are real. The economic problems are real. The security problems are real. And as you said, we have to be smart. We have to be smart, go along living the way we're living. But we have to be smart. We have to plan. And Amir Tashem, this Pesach should be a Zman Gula Seinu, Zman Cheiru Seinu from right. all our problems. Rabbi Mendi Merachnik, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you, Rav Lorna. was a COVID. Everybody, Chakosha, the Sameach, Azizur, get the Pesach for the Cheiris, and the David Melech with David. Amch Yisrael Trichum Parnasa. That's how old this fill is. And the Tyra says there'll be poverty, but it should not be among the Yiddish folk. We should have Yishis okay. and the Chamas okay. and get Laban. Thank you so much. It's an honor to welcome to the program someone who I've recently met, spoken to, listened to his podcasts, and enjoyed talking to, Rev. Ellie Spitzer. Ellie is a member of the Hasidic community in Stamford Hill, London. He's the headmaster of a Hasidic school in London. Interesting, he's a columnist for Mossad magazine and a writer for a regular blog on the Haredi Manners. And it's a pleasure to welcome you to the program. Uh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. We've been talking about the Orthodox community, issues we are dealing with here at Pesach, talking about economics, security, uh, situation in, in Eretz Israel the last couple of days has been difficult. We're talking about the cost of food for Pesach and people needing additional assistance. We're talking about education. And now we're coming to you with a different perspective perhaps a Hasidic perspective, an English perspective, a European perspective. From your standpoint, Ellie, what are, you, what are the issues that the Orthodox community, the Frum community, the Hasidic community, would be at the top of their agenda, Eretz Pesach, of this year? I think, that are, I think that there are issues that um, are, of course, very pressing, very topical, um, economic issues, uh, there's a lot of anxiety, I think, uh, globally about the uh, combination, I think, of the fallout of the war in Ukraine um, together with the recovery or the chickens coming home to roost um, in terms of all the excessive spending during the pandemic. And I think people are anxious about the cost of living rising, inflation rising. Um, I'm not an expert on economics, and I, I can't say too much about that, but I think that it does provide um, uh, the context for something that always animates me, and that is examining um, the role of the Orthodox Jewish world, specifically the Haredi world, and particularly the Hasidish world, which is what I'm a part of, um, what their relationship is with their surroundings, with the outside world. I think it is very easy, and it has very often been said, that one of the consequences of the Karedi separatism, of, of isolationism, is um, poorer economic circumstances, more poverty, more reliance on the welfare state, and so on. And um, I'm, I, there's no question that in many cases that is true. The lack of uh, decent secular education, in, especially in the Hasidic world, um, does prevent people from pursuing different careers. But um, I think it's sometimes it is oversimplified. I think um, 
it is not as straightforward as people claim it is that because people, because Haredi children do not get um, a gold standard secular education, therefore they are doomed for a life of poverty and, and misery and reliance on the welfare state. I think it is more complicated than that, more nuanced than that. And um, one of the, for me, one of the big arguments against that is that whenever you actually examine closely the average household income of a Haredi household, uh, some of that work has been done by the JPR, um, the, the Jewish Policy Research Institute in the UK. I'm not sure whether the same piece of work has been done in America, but in the UK, the, the, the average household income for Haredi households is actually, um, in, in many cases, higher than the average um, income for non-Haredi or non-Jewish households. But it is, I think, the uh, high birth rate and the very high cost of living which comes with being part of the Haredi community. So we're thinking of kosher food, of simchas, of tuition, um, travel, um, and so on. Cost of housing, cost of housing. Of course, of course, housing. Housing is extremely important because, of course, you, are, you don't have the luxury to just go and live out in the sticks and commute. You, you, you need to be close to, to, to infrastructure, to communal institutions, and so on. I think all of that together is probably and arguably uh, a, a, a much bigger factor to the um, economic circumstances in, in, in the Haredi community. So, so I, I've always tried to push back against the narrative that it is just a simple equation of poor standards of English and maths equals a poor um, below average income um, later on in life and therefore if you just um, deliver a decent standard of English and maths, then the problem is solved. I don't think it's as simple as that. I must agree with you. There are many, many Harvard and Yale University graduates who used to find driving taxes. They didn't find the employment. It doesn't work that way. And if you look into our community in America, in the business world, you will find many, many serious entrepreneurs and businessmen that don't have the normal excuse my expression, university yes. education, and I've been, I've been very, very successful. But you bring up a great point. We can, our community can be making higher, higher wages, but the cost of living, the cost of housing, the cost of kosher, the cost of tuition is affecting us. So what do we do about it? Well, what we do about it, I think, uh, first of all, it's, just, it's worth pointing out that for someone who takes uh, such a skeptical view of the central, of the role that secular education plays in the future financial prospects, you, you, you might ask yourself, why do I dedicate my professional life to raising standards of secular education in the Hasidic world? Because that's what I do for a living. I, I'm the headmaster of a Hasidic school, of a, of a, uh, uh, a very Heimische, Yiddish-speaking Mosad. But the, um, what sets us apart from, from, from the more conventional Hasidic schools is the fact that we take secular education very seriously. And uh, there's something that I have written about and something that I, I, a message that I'm trying to get more attention for is that there's actually the need for improved secular education in the Haredi world is actually not just a question of economics, but actually the, there is a, another growing concern from what I have observed, uh, probably anecdotally, but um, I think that 
the age of being able to completely to just build walls and shut out the outside world completely and insulate everyone inside without having to be exposed to anything is effectively over. And that's thanks to thanks to the internet. I think that's uh, uh, it, we now live in an age where people are aware. Everyone uh, has a much better um, uh, understanding and is much more aware of what's going on in the world. And therefore, I think that the Haredi world has got to now consider and cater for uh, a more intelligent and better informed new generation growing up who know what goes on in the world, but because they do not have the tools, they don't have the language skills, the literacy skills to engage with the outside world, that, that in itself sort of breeds a degree of resentment. And, and I'm not talking about the people who go off the derech because, you know, that is a very small minority of people who make that big jump and it takes an awful lot for a person to, to make such a drastic decision. But I'm talking about people who stay within the fold but become increasingly resentful towards their parents, their community, their rabbonim. Why have you failed us? Why am I unable to participate in a global conversation about politics, about ideas, about all of those things? And I think that that's one crucial area that needs to be, if we are to hang on to our best and brightest young minds, and if we are not only hang on to them, but actually if we are going to benefit from what they have to offer and, and actually develop leaders that can contribute to the future of the Haredi community, then we have to provide them with a better uh, secular education so that they don't feel like the price of staying within the Haredi community is a lifetime of savagery and illiteracy. And therefore, you make a good point. And therefore, and therefore I'm, I think, a very, I'm a very practical person. I like the therefore. Right. And therefore, I think the, the, the focus on improving standards of secular education has to be understood from this point. If the argument is that we need secular education so that we can get a, a, a decent, we can earn a decent living when we grow older, then what you get in return is, yeah, but how much is absolutely necessary? Maybe it is enough just to have a secular education up until the age of 11 or 12. And once you can do some basic reading and writing and adding up, then you're probably good to go because, you know, you probably don't need more than that. But if there is actually a recognition that we need to generate a, a more sophisticated class of, and I'm not saying that this is something that everyone has to engage with, but I'm, I'm saying that there needs to be a track, an option where Haredi parents can choose to send their children to a, a, a Moisa, the school that provides a, a top quality level of secular education without having to compromise on a proper Haredi chinuch at the same time. And I think in order for those projects to get off the ground, I think it is important that they're rooted in the proper argument of why they are necessary. And the argument, I think, should go beyond just, oh, we need it because we need money and because the kids need shoes. But actually, it is more important than that, more strategically important. And I think if we see it that way, I think um, we're able to go a lot further. And we're able to, 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 to support those projects to make sure that they happen. Schools like mine or, or, you know, and I'm not the only one, and there's similar projects in America and, and, and in Israel. They need the full backing and the full support from the wider community. And, and the way that we get that support is by making the right arguments. May I, may I suggest, maybe continue the yeah. conversation, would that require, and I'm searching for the right words, 
would that require a more solid Torah chinuch in hashkafa and halacha, so that when the student is in that world, whether academically or eventually working and interacting in that world, they have a stronger basis and a foundation that will protect their Torah values if we don't teach our needs. The simple answer is yes, of course, but it is also the case that we need a more robust um, um, Torah education regardless of whether we improve standards of secular education because, as I said earlier, the facts on the ground have changed. The fact is that the walls that we've relied on, the, 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 the padding, the insulation that we've relied on for decades is not falling apart as an exaggeration, but they're certainly leaking. They're not as solid as we, we used to have them, and therefore we have to prepare. We have to be able to um, give our children, our uh, teenagers, and, and our young men and women the tools that they need to understand, to contend with challenging ideas or information that might challenge um, a narrative that until now has been a lot easier to just say, well, this is what Rabbi Aaron Kotler said, this is what Rav Shacha said, um, this is what the Satmar Rebbe said, and, you know, and, and that's enough, and just go with it, and everyone else who dares question it. We need to be able to be more sophisticated simply because the challenges are more sophisticated. Now, that is completely separate from the point that an increased level of secular education in itself might pose those challenges, and therefore what I'm proposing is not that we simply um, take the conventional model of secular education and just adopt that wholesale into the Haredi community. I think it is very important that the Haredi community develops and innovates on its own, building a model of secular education that is more, um, uh, that, that can be better reconciled with a Haredi worldview and a Haredi education. I'll give you one example. I think that sending children off to college in the sort of late teens, in the eight, when they're 18, 19 years old, is a very dangerous thing to do for the Haredi community because that is a crucial formative stage of a young person's life. And I don't think, I, I, I can hardly think of, of, of any Torah education that will be good enough to protect them from what's waiting for them out there. However, what we, we can still maintain the same model of our yeshiva system sort of in those years and create those tracks and those roots later in life, sort of early 20s, mid-20s, when this young person is more settled, more anchored in the community, more confident with his or her identity, and no longer susceptible to the latest challenges posed by the academic world, which everyone knows is, you know, any, anyone who cares to look it up knows that it's extremely challenging. <clears throat> and, and by the way, if you just look at and if you read up on, on how the traditional socially conservative families in America, of how they cry and, and bemoan what college campuses do to their children once they send them off, I mean, that should be the warnings that we need to pay attention to and not to fall into the same trap. I agree. Now, maybe different in America than in, in Europe, we have many qualified programs online. On a personal level, I'll put in a commercial. My Parnosa comes from an online college program called the YIEP with a university in Omaha, Nebraska, Bellevue University, where we create, it's an online program, academically sound. The students only learn what we need to learn. 
all the electives and all the other courses are coordinated by the community at large. I mean, we have colleges here, and we have numerous college programs. I'm proud to say, and uh, you may have heard of the Fulbright Scholarship, a very prestigious yep. scholarship. One of our alumni was just awarded a Fulbright Scholarship. Now, granted, she came to us for the undergraduate degree, and she's gone on since. But uh, her undergraduate program, her bachelor's program was with us. She's now been awarded a Fulbright Scholarship. You can imagine the competition. So we have programs for those that want, and that those numbers are increasing, to stay away from that college environment. And yep. you're correct. You are correct. Those colleges are saying in the modern Orthodox community, they're sending their kids to universities, to colleges, wherever they may be in America because they want to get a prestigious education, are more often than not sacrificing the Yiddish side of their children. So yeah. You can, and I you should can point out both worlds. Yeah, but I should make the point that I, I, I am aware of, of um, well, I was made aware of your program, was it earlier this week or last week when we spoke, but I'm also aware of, of other projects. I am actually, and I, and, I, and I should say this throughout my conversation, my, the angle that I come from is the, the Hasidic world, and I think a lot more has to be done to try and find similar programs that can cater to the Yiddish-speaking world. Because it is important to remember that the Hasidic world has a unique challenge of bridging a major language gap. I simply couldn't speak English up until the age of 15 or 16. And I had, I wasn't one of the dumb children in the class. I was doing pretty well. And my parents were very aspirational and wanted the best for myself and for my siblings. But we were not, we were a Yiddish speaking family. I, I grew up in a Yiddish speaking environment and I couldn't speak English until I taught myself to speak English by doing a number of different things, which was quite extreme and things that, uh, you know, most people um, are not prepared to do. And I think that finding a way of bridging that language gap and helping um, children from a Yiddish-speaking background to be able to access these programs, I think it's crucial because I think of the Haredi world, of course, the Hasidic uh, element within the Haredi world is, is, is a very big chunk of it. Um, I'm still waiting for someone to do the proper data on, on the statistics outside of Israel, but I think we're talking hundreds of thousands and, and growing with a very strong birth rate. And, you know, they need to be the Hasidic world in New York, in Williamsburg, in Borough Park, in Monsey, in Stamford Hill, in Manchester, in Antwerp. The, the language barrier that exists is the, this extra hurdle, which makes it that much more difficult to be able to access these programs. And I think that's something to bear in mind for anyone who wants to do something about this. This is not the place and time because that's not a subject matter, it's not a commercial. But I would suggest that much of these programs, many of these programs are led by quality B'nai Torah and concerned individuals, and those solutions, at least in the American scene, can be uh, developed. I know that in my university, the conversation has come up, and they're more than willing to, uh, to do whatever they can to make it happen. Obviously, the, edu the textbook material is in English, so that will take time, but uh, they are willing and able, as I'm sure other programs are, uh, to accommodate the Hasidic community. Again, headlines this headlines program is known to be provocative, so we're entering into a field that uh, may right. be considered as such. But the point is, though, that uh, I agree with you 100%. We have to give our, our children and our youth solid, 
Torah and Hasidus and Yiddishkeit and, and, and find a way that we can give them the alternatives that uh, will be successful and yet not challenge anything. There's a joke out there that you'll find some good yeshivas that allow college and their students become doctors and lawyers and professionals like that. And then you'll find yeshivas that don't go to college and they're Talmudian and alumni going to business. And you try to figure out where the more money is coming from, you'll find more money is generated by those students who go into business and real estate and uh, that kind of world and oh. those are the professionals. So the option well, they say they're the ones they're the ones giving employing the professionals. <laughs> so the answers are there as long as you walk in with the with the hadrachal of our Rosh Hashivas and our Rebbes and our, and our Moradorech, what we can do in future. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, but can, I, I guess can I also say, which I think is, is, is very important, that when I talk about um, a Haredi, a member of the Haredi community growing up with the tools that he need to engage with the world, I think that it's very important. I think you know that I've written about this recently in Mosaic, um, quite a long essay, about this, and it, it, it's probably just as important, maybe even more important, to consider the role that the Haredi community and the Orthodox community in general is um, going to play in the future of the Jewish people in the coming decades. Because there is something which is not talked about anywhere near enough, and it seems like it's a, a topic that is actively being suppressed by certain um, members of the mainstream Jewish community, but the growing prominence of the Orthodox world in terms of simple numbers, before we get to commitment to Jewish issues, just in terms of numbers, is massive, it's huge, and it's completely transforming um, the Jewish community, especially outside of Israel. I think in Israel, in, uh, it is well known, the demographic trends. Um, it is also the case that in, in Eretz Israel, the, 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 the mainstream birth rates are up pretty healthy and therefore the trend isn't as sharp, the rise isn't as sharp. But if you look at the numbers in America, if you, if you, you know, I've been doing some research before I wrote this essay and, and I dug up some old copies of the American Jewish yearbook going back to the 1950s and 60s and leading Jewish thinkers and, and sociologists and demographers were basically predicting that Orthodox Judaism will be a relic of the past by the turn of the century. It will disappear completely. And it now looks, unless some major event happens completely unexpected, it looks well on target to become the plurality, by far the biggest section of the Jewish community, within the next 50 years, whichever way you look at it. It could happen a lot sooner than that, because there is, we're in seeing a complete... Yeah, go on. In America, if you start considering the assimilation rate and the intermarriage rate and the low birth rate and the late stage of marriage among the non-Orthodox communities, I think you're going to find it much, much earlier. Let me give you a statistic. Right. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I think, I think in, to some extent, the way that those numbers are being sort of propped up at the moment is by constantly shifting the goalposts of who is considered to be a Jew. And that in itself, I think, if you study carefully the, the, the latest Pew survey and so on, I think that is being used as a mechanism um, to sort of keep the numbers, maintain them. But it, it seems inevitable. The membership of the, 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 that used to be the mainstream of American Jewry, the reform movement, and then the conservative movement, is collapsing. And 
at the same time, Orthodox movements are growing steadily. They're growing and becoming stronger and more prominent. And you've got at the same time what is now known as non-affiliated Jews, which the numbers are vast. But the fact is that when it comes to, and if, again, I'll refer back to this Pew survey, when it comes to caring about Jewish matters, things that actually matter to the future of the Jewish people, they're just not that interested. And therefore, Haredim, the Orthodox world, needs to ask itself, what is it going to do with its new role in the Jewish people? Until now, it was, well, until recently, you could get away with saying, look, for us, we're just here to protect our little corner, to preserve the flame of Torah, to make sure that traditional Judaism survives, but we know when they're big enough, powerful enough to be able to, to get involved in the bigger question, in uh, sort of on an international stage or, at, or even at the national level in Israel and so on. Even the way that the role of Haredi politicians in Israel was framed over the recent decades was just a matter of shtablonus. We're there to make sure that the budget is favorable for Haredim and we're there to sort of push back against uh, the persecution of Haredim, the way that it was presented. And that is slowly shifting. It's, it's changing. The new generation of Haredim growing up are realizing that they are, that they are part of the story and they want to be part of the story. But we also, I think, need to start thinking very carefully about what are we going to do with this new prominence? We need to start showing some sort of responsibility for the future of the Jewish people as a whole. We need to start caring about the Jewish people as a whole. I think this is, again, has to become part of our discourse, part of our conversation. And that's, again, one of the big challenges for the Orthodox world, the challenge that hopefully we will meet and, 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 and meet um, and succeed. Hey, let me give you some sample numbers just to, to uh, prove your point. The Reform Movement in America used to have on their website the numbers of Reform Movement members. And it used to be 1.8 million people, not households, million people. I'm not sure that's in the United States or across the world. They recently updated that website, and that 1.8 million members has now turned into 1.2 million. Now, that's on the Reform yeah. website. It's not like coming from somewhere else. So on one side, you are, and, and Reform and Conservative synagogues are shrinking. They are Reform and Conservative rabbinic seminaries are shrinking. There's a conversation going on now of closing the rabbinic college in Cincinnati, the home of the reform. And yeah. uh, I joked with somebody recently, the conservative movement has informed, I think the number was 40 of the synagogues. They will not be able to provide them with rabbis in the future. They don't have enough rabbis. And I joked yeah. with somebody in the firm community, you open up your shul, there'll be 100 candidates in your inbox before the day's over. But it is a problem. <laughs> The numbers in Israel today, I had a conversation not too long ago with Haver Knesset Yitzhak Pinterest. He said, on this show, many, many weeks ago, he said, in Israel today, in the elementary school system, there are one million kids in Mamlachti schools, Israeli public schools. On the other hand, there are 500,000 kids in Yeshiva Kitanis, Hasidic Yeshivas, whatever you want to call it. And there are 350,000 in Mamlachti Dati. Public, religious public schools. So you're talking about a million kids in public school and a million eight five, excuse me, 850,000 in Torah schools of some sort. Can you imagine what the numbers are going to be in five years? And can you imagine what's going to be in 20 years? What's going to happen yep. when the majority population of Israel is from? 
Who's going to be the policeman? Who's going to do security on Shabbos? You can't tell the, the robbers and the murderers Shabbos is a free day. What's going to happen yeah. when our numbers are serious? I ask, and I say this publicly, you have no problem with it. I asked somebody, a member of Knesset, the Chavar Knesset from the Haredi parties, what happens when we become serious numbers? We can't avoid Savah anymore. We can't put the onus of army service on, on others. And his answer to me was, interesting, we're not against Savah. Moshe Rabbeinu had Savah, Yeshua had Savah, all the way through we had an army. Our problem is the policy of the army. Kashrus and Shabbos and mixed battalions, if they do the army, the way a Yiddish army should be, will be there. Now, I'm not telling people what they should or should not do, but it is a conversation, the halacha discussion. So you, you are right. You, we need to start considering where we're going to be in the greater picture, because I think it's coming faster than you think. Yes. But on the other I, case, I, I, the other I agree with you that it's... Uh, my prediction is also that it's happening faster, but I, I'm trying to be to use the most conservative estimates. But I happen to agree that I think it will happen a lot faster than people realize. So what I'm taking out of this conversation is I think it has to become a conversation. So air of Pesach of this year, it may not be on the agenda for today, but I think it has to become a conversation because we're getting more involved and more active and more responsible. But on the other hand, I think we're up to it. I believe that Kleisel is up to it. There are leaders taking responsibility and the position and the, and the activities that I have, I see the younger generation moving up to the plate, as we say here, moving up to the plate, taking a Yisrael under the auspices of the Aguda, created a new Varhat Sola dealing with Ukraine. They raised, not millions, tens of millions of dollars. I think the last count was 25 or $30 million that was raised going into helping the Ukrainian Jews. And to their credit, they're not asking you for your citizens. Right? And they're helping anybody. But this, it's an achrayas they've taken to help people, those that are going there to serve, those that are not. Health, Shabbos, they've taken that responsibility. I think we're up to the task. So, um, yep. I think, I think, think about. yes, I think we need to think about this. We need to talk about this. And I think people need to start appreciating um, the position that we're in and the responsibility that comes with it. And I, I am I'm an optimist, and I, and I, I think that we will rise to the challenge. Um, but I, you know, I want to play my small part in it. And um, I know a lot of the work that you do feeds directly into this new vision of the role of the Haredi world, the Haredi community in the Jewish world, and what it has to offer, and what rights um, it should be fighting for and protecting. Yes, and I, I welcome your input. I, we welcome your input. We welcome your continued writing about this. It's, it's, it's a, a breath of fresh air. As somebody with a sense of achrayas, a sense of a Hasidic background with a sense of achrayas, and challenging the Torah community, the Hasidic community, on what we can do, what we should do. And perhaps as we enter the Pesach Seder of the Higarat Aladimcha, we should be directing our children and our grandchildren on that sense of achrayas on that sense of responsibility to the cloud. And as you said, and as you experienced and I experienced, we are up to it. And hopefully with the leadership and direction of Kedoli Yisrael, our Rosh Hashivas and our Rebbe's and our Rabbonim, we'll be able to, to be up to the task and we'll make that Kiddushim Shemayim that you expected of us. So Omar, thank you for joining us. We hope to have No problem. It was a pleasure. hear from you more. And uh, 
Have a wonderful yonder. Thank you. You Thank too. Thank you so much. All the best.